church, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I don't have a specific text that we're going to read from, but I do have a, a concept, and we may do some more of these as we go through into August, but, you know, sometimes there's things we hear, there's some things that we say as church people that we've kind of just taken as, as gospel, maybe, or as... Uh, biblical, maybe something that we believe or we've heard has been, is in the Bible and, you know, there's a lot of these sayings and, uh, you know, in, in the midst of that, we want to pray that God reveals truth to us. And so just for instance, and then we'll kind of pray and ask God to speak to us as we get into the message this morning. But for instance, some sayings that maybe we've heard is, uh, money is the root of all evil which is not what scripture says. But if we think about it, it's one of those things that we've heard said. And so then, you know, um, there's certain categories of sin that we immediately apply. Maybe it's even to people with a lot of money. We say, well, if they have a lot of money, then there must be sin at the root of it. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, maybe another saying would be cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, maybe you've heard that said. It's not in the Bible, but it's been said a lot. And if that's the case, then uh, John the Baptist out in the wilderness with matted hair and eating, eating grasshoppers and crickets and whatnot, I don't know if he would fit that mold. You know, another one would be this, God works in mysterious ways. You know, which we, we don't believe as Christians, right? I mean, God's, God's way may not make sense to us, but God's plan is very clear. His purpose is very clear. There's no mystery about it. We are put on this earth for His glory to enjoy Him, to, to usher in the kingdom of God. There is no mystery about it. Now, how He does that, we just trust in His way. But then what I want us to kind of focus on this morning, and you know, uh, in studying for this, 52% of Christians believe that this phrase is either out of the Bible or biblical. And there'll be some things in it that I believe that we can see, but the phrase is this, and maybe you've heard this before. God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that before? God helps those who help themselves. Over half of Christians believe that this is in the Bible. It shows you how much we don't know our Bibles all that well as far as this phrase goes. But there's so much here and that if we would understand it and, and, and begin to wrap our minds around maybe taking that phrase and applying it to our Christian lives where we can begin to miss what God's called us to and what God's doing in the midst of our Christian walk. So I want to pray and ask God to challenge us a little bit, and then we'll get into what I have for us this morning as we consider this phrase that is very prevalent in our Christian culture and how, how, how we should interpret this appropriately. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all the, the that you've given us. God, I thank you for this space you've allowed us to be in. I thank you for the worship team. God, I thank you for everything that we get to do here as broken, sinful man standing before a holy God. Father, I pray that you would begin to help us focus in on what it means to be your people and what it means to rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, bless this time, Lord, and let it all be for your glory and honor. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. So I'm so thankful 
for our worship team. I'm thankful for PJ this week that joined us. Me and PJ played music for a long time together, and so I'm very thankful that PJ has uh, he's shown a heart to want to join us and add to. And anytime it's not just me up here, I am so thankful. So thankful. And man, uh, their commitment is just unbelievable. And you know, even when people are out, we're able to kind of move things around and it, it just works so well. So I'm so thankful for our worship team and thankful to welcome PJ to join our worship team too. So, you know, when we consider this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, you know, that, and just like we've done with our scripture is we need to consider, you know, with scripture, we're considering the context. Well, with this phrase, we really need to consider the origin to really kind of understand what's going on here, like what's being communicated. Um, and so the origin, kind of the American origin of this phrase comes from actually Benjamin Franklin. You know, and, and maybe you're familiar with Poor Richard's Almanac. It was this almanac of poems and things about the weather and just all these things that, that, uh, that he put together. And he went by this, uh, this other name uh, being Poor Richard. And so he wrote this almanac and would publish it and people could read it and, 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 and kind of apply it to their life or whatever. And so this, this phrase actually comes from that almanac. It actually comes from uh, Benjamin Franklin's writings in 1757. And this is actually what he says in the almanac. He says, let us hearken to good advice and something may be done for us. God helps them that help themselves. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, we wouldn't consider it to be all that bad. And in a lot of ways, that makes sense in a certain perspective. When we consider, even kind of really considering our world and the way our world works, our world is very transactional. You know, uh, we, we do certain things, and we, when we do those things, we're in a sense helping ourselves, you know, and, and maybe even the way we take care of ourselves and the way that we do things in our, in our day-to-day life. And so when we kind of consider this phrase, there's very much a to-get-you-do type mentality. And so what we have to understand, though, about the origin, and this is why origin is important, and this is why context is important when we consider verses, is even though there's very much that we can celebrate about, you know, this, it's, it's not demeaning, you know, just because we say something that somebody says is wrong, it doesn't take away from everything they've ever said or done. So I'm not saying we go tear down every Benjamin Franklin statue that ever existed. But Benjamin Franklin is writing this phrase and speaking of God. So we need to know what Benjamin Franklin's perspective of God was because it will influence the perspective at which what he says means for us, right? Someone's perspective on God determines what they're communicating about that God that they believe. And so Benjamin Franklin is what he he was a deist. You know, and and, and that sounds you know, we need definitions for everything. You know, theism is the belief that's God, that there is a God, but there's many different levels of theism, right? There's polytheism, believing in multiple gods, monotheism, believing in one God. There's atheism, or not God, like not a God, not a belief in God. And then there's deism. And so Benjamin Franklin is what we would call a deist. Benjamin Franklin believed in a God who created the world and sustains the world. But the difference, and what Benjamin Franklin believed and what we believe, is that Benjamin Franklin did not believe in a personal God. Deists believe that, basically like kind of the clockmaker. We've talked about this before, a clockmaker. Like the clockmaker makes the watch, winds it up, 
and then doesn't have any other to do with it. It just lets it run. And so that's how Benjamin Franklin viewed God, the Creator. God created the world, God sustains the world, but He does not involve Himself in His creation. And so when we think about this phrase, we have to remember it or think about it from that perspective of a person who sees God as someone who is not actively involved in the day-to-day -day lives of individual people, which if, if we're looking at it, there's no personal connection, there's no interaction between humans and that creator. And so we can see how there's a disconnect between that mindset and Christian thought, right? Because like we've even sang about this morning, we'll talk about a little bit more, God with us, Emmanuel, God among us, that is not the God that we believe in. And so that means that we have to view this phrase differently. There's something here. And that if we know the context, and so if we read this and we hear Benjamin Franklin say, you know, to, to God helps them that help themselves. And so in a lot of ways, we're like, yeah, oh, that makes sense. When we apply it to our world and kind of, kind of the cultural acceptance of how the world functions, we begin to apply that to our Christianity and it becomes this very transactional process. Like if I want God to help me, then there's some help that I need to do for myself, that there's some activity, there's some work that I need to do for this God, this ultimate creator, that as far as Benjamin Franklin believed, that he didn't have any personal interaction with the world, the, the people of the world. And so then we have to kind of consider how are some ways at which this phrase doesn't fit into a Christian mindset. Well, then there's something else we have to consider, you know, because the thing about Christianity is Christianity is unique in how it interacts with its God. Because this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is very closely related to a, to a passage in the Quran that reads like this. It says, Indeed, Allah would not change the conditions of a population until they change what is in themselves. Sounds kind of similar, doesn't it? God helps those who help themselves. Allah will not change the conditions until they change what is in themselves. And so if we read that, we're hearing a, we meet God halfway. Right? We meet God halfway doing our part to own to earn this admission. But the Christian perspective, what we believe about Christ is, is not this. And so the idea of God helps those who help themselves cannot fit within our Christian perspective. And this is why. And so there's two questions that I want us to ask ourselves this morning because what I want us to hear and what we'll end with is that this doesn't take responsibility away. This doesn't mean that Christians don't have things that we do. But there has to be a place that we start to really understand what this is saying. And so there's two questions I want us to ask ourselves. Can we help ourselves is the first question that we have to ask. And then the second question is what can we do? So the first question is, can we help ourselves? And in a lot of ways, this makes sense to us because we, you know, we believe in, in a sense that we need to clean up before we step out. I mean, when we go out to dinner, when we go to certain places, there's a certain work that we do to ourselves to be acceptable to go to this place. To You know, we have a dress code at school. You have a dress code at work. There's certain things that we do to ourselves, with ourselves, to make ourselves presentable to whatever institution or whatever thing we're entering into. And, and really even thinking about God himself. If we're thinking about going to God or being a part of what God is doing, 
then we start to think about a holy God who is perfect. And so we have to make ourselves, we believe that we have to make ourselves presentable first and that God will appreciate my effort, then He will help me, right? If I help myself, God, will help. God helps those who help themselves. If I do, then God will help me. And so, to really understand this and to really get a better perspective on this, we have to bring this all the way down to the base level of who we are as human beings. The Bible is very clear about who we are and how we are. Romans 3, 10 through 12. It says, as it is written, Paul says, he says, none is righteous or none is good before God. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one does good. Oh, I skipped the, skipped the section. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not even one. So no one. It says no one is good before God. No one has that ability within them. No one. In some ways, if we think about it like this, no one can help themselves before a holy God. Proverbs 28, 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in, the wisdom, in wisdom will be delivered. Trusting in his own mind, within myself, me helping myself. It's not shaping up very well so far, right? I'm not righteous. I don't see God on my own. Not to trust my own mind because it'll, it'll deceive me. So are there things as Christians that we do? Absolutely. But the thing that we constantly talk about is we don't do these things out of our own strength. And so the more accurate representation of this phrase to fit into a Christian mindset would be this. That God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. This is a more accurate representation of our status and strength before a holy God. Isaiah 25, 4, it says, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. Isaiah 64, 6, it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We will all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So God helps those who cannot help themselves. So what kind of help do we need? What kind of help do we need to need? This is, this is where it begins. This is where it starts. This is the action at which God participates in the life of His people from the beginning. So there's three ways that God helps us. The first thing is this, and the most important thing is this, is that God saves us. God alone saves us. And Scripture is so very clear on this. This is our greatest need. This is our greatest need, and Scripture tells us this is not a 50-50 process. This is not a 60-40 process. God alone does the saving. There is no saving that you or I do. God helps those who help themselves. Does not apply in the Christian perspective because there's no saving, no ounce or, or inch of saving that I can do myself. God does the saving. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, but God, being rich in mercy. Listen, God brings all the mercy. I'm poor in mercy. I'm bankrupt in mercy. But God is rich in mercy. Because of what? Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when, even when we were dead 
our trespasses. Church, this is the thing we have to consider. Can dead people do anything? You can't. Can dead people walk? No. Can dead people eat? No. Can dead people do anything? Listen, we're not talking about walking dead uh, zombies. We're talking about dead dead. Church, dead people can do nothing. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. He made us alive. He rescued us from that death. That death had, that had already... We were dead. We weren't dying we were dead. He made us alive together with what? With Christ. By what means? By grace, you have been saved. Church, we've been rescued by one thing, by one person, in one way. We've been mercifully saved by the grace of God alone through Christ Jesus. God alone saves. God alone saves. Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God alone saves so that we would never look to ourselves to believe that any bit of who we are or anyone outside of us can save us. We do not have the ability. Why? And I love that he ends that verse that way. Because he ends that verse saying exactly what each and every single one of us would think if we had the ability to save ourselves is that we would boast in it. Just think, if we could do something that would change the eternal outlook of someone's life on our own, you know we would take credit for it. I mean, we in the church sometimes, church people take credit for it even when it's not them. I mean, I've heard evangelists talk about saving people. Like it's them that's done the saving. It's dangerous. As church people, we can begin to take credit for things that aren't ours. And that's the thing we have to understand. God does the saving. God does the saving. We are unable to find spiritual peace or salvation on our own. Romans 5, 6, it says, For a while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were dead. We were ungodly. God saw us in our weakness, our inability to help ourselves. And He died for us. He gave us a way. He gave us that, that perspective. He gave us that desire to seek after Him. Romans 5, 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are so on our own, so incapable, so unqualified to bring ourselves before a holy God. But the difference, the perspective that we have that Benjamin Franklin didn't have, the perspective that we have as Christians that every other religion in the world doesn't have, is that our religion, Christianity, is the only religion where our God comes to us instead of us trying to get to our God. Jesus Christ came to where we were to rescue us he says in John 3.17, he said, He did not come to the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. But He came so that through Him it might be saved. He came to us. The God, the Creator of the universe, came down to rescue us. But too often, even as Christians, we're living in this perspective of, of that God only helps those who help themselves. 
So I better start doing better or God's not going to help me. I better start looking better, be cleaned up more, be doing more work or God's not going to help me until I can help myself. But the problem is, and I don't know if you've experienced this or maybe you've dealt with people that experience this, we constantly feel like I'm not helping myself enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm, 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 not, I'm not being enough for what God needs me to be, for me to help myself enough so that God can help me to the point at which I need. We still feel like as Christians sometimes that there's, a, there's this huge chasm in between us and God. When the Bible is very clear that the moment we accepted Christ Jesus as our Savior, that that chasm was closed. And that we were invited to the throne of God. That He invited us to come in. That He invited us to the table. That the invitations have been given. So He says, come, bring your burdens, bring your hurts, bring your sin, bring your shame. Lay those things at the foot of the cross and they're nailed, the Bible tells us. Canceled. The dead is canceled on the cross. But we still live like there's this chasm, like I need to fill the void of where me and God are separated by my help, me helping myself to get to the help that God has for me. So the second thing is this, not only does God save us, but God carries us. We would call this process in church world sanctification. This is the process at which God is making us. God is molding us. Listen, the problem that I've experienced in church a lot of times is that we believe that the salvation moment is when everything happens and then everything stops there, right? We believe that, that God saved me and that now it's my responsibility to live up to the expectation, kind of, kind of one-up that moment. But the thing is that the saving process process of Jesus Christ is a continual process that is always happening. It's eternally sealed, but He's always saving us. He's always carrying us. Us living this life is like hanging off the side of a mountain, unable to bear our own weight, and God is holding on. What does the Bible tell us? Nothing can separate us from His love. That the grip of God on our lives never gets loosened. It never gets weakened. It never gets tired. It never gives up. The grip of God constantly holds us and it carries us. This is the process of sanctification. God making us into the image of God. And He does this in our day to day. He does this in your marriage. He does this in raising our kids. He does this in our workplace. He does this in the local church. He does this in all aspects of our life. This is Him molding us. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you. God who works in you, both to will and to work for what? For His good pleasure. God is molding us. God is making us. And so in this life that we live in, the help, even when the help has started, when God has saved us, the continual help is still coming from God. God is carrying us. God is carrying us. When we realize this, church, this is the most freeing thing. And it even makes us excited to pursue the Lord. This is the confidence at which drives us to pursue God. Is understanding this because of the third thing. Not only does He carry us, but God strengthens us. God strengthens us. God gives us everything we need, the ability that we need, the strength that we need to pursue Him. And what should be encouragement for us in that pursuit is that the strength at which, the acceptance at which we pursue God is not based on my righteousness. The Bible talks about this, or my good standing before God, but it's the, the standing, the righteousness of Christ on my behalf that I've been clothed in His righteousness, as the Bible tells us. I've been clothed in His goodness. The Bible tells us that the strength at which we pursue God is not dependent on me. 
And a lot of times people in church, when we apply this, God helps those who help themselves. I have good friends, good people that I've done ministry with that currently are not involved in a local church and not doing ministry anymore because they do not believe they are at the right place or have the right strength to do what God has called them to do, to pursue God. That they believe that they need to clean themselves up more God helps those who help themselves. Clean themselves up more. I need to get better. I need to get my head on right. But what is happening in that process, when we think like that, the God helps those who help themselves mentality, is that we never feel like we're good enough. We never feel like we have enough strength to go. Because we're depending on what? We're depending on our own strength to be there. We're depending on our own goodness to be at that place. We're depending on our own ability to be there. Church, our help comes from God alone, and it happens when we turn our lives over to Him. Where our strength will always fail, His strength fights within us and for us to continue forward. Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, He increases strength. But this only happens from God. This doesn't happen from me. It, for me, I... The, the crash and burn of my life is any moment where I've ever tried to be the husband or the father that God has called me to be on my own. Disconnected from, who, from God. Disconnected from a relationship with God. You will never, we will never be the people that God has called us to be disconnected from Him. Because, listen, when, when things at home are a struggle, you need the gospel. You need the gospel. You need to be able to have a moment when you've lashed out in anger, when you've made a mistake, when you've failed as a parent in some moment. I need the gospel to remind me, hey, it's going to be all right. The grace of God is going to carry me through this. The grace of God is going to strengthen me through this. I am not saved. I am not in this position. I'm not this person because of who I am. I'm in this position because God has put me here and He's chosen me for this. Parents, you have the kids you have because God has chosen you to have those kids. And that is encouragement for me, for myself, to know that, listen, if I can just point them to Christ, acknowledge my own weaknesses and failures, not trying to pretend like I'm perfect, then there will be something beyond me that will carry them. It doesn't take away responsibility from me. We'll talk about this as we move on. But God has strengthened us, and He strengthened us in a lot of ways. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself, will Himself, He'll restore, He'll confirm, and thank God for confirmation. Have you ever had those moments in your life where God has just confirmed where you are, what you're doing, the person you're with, the place you're at, where he's confirmed it, like this is it. Confirmed, he'll strengthen. And then the last thing being, he'll establish. He'll establish. Man, I'm so grateful that the confidence that I have in God to restore, to confirm, to strengthen, to establish. Listen, these are all things that I feel like I've spent a lot of time in my life trying to do myself. 
Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to restore this back. I'm going to try to take this broken thing, whether it's me, whether it's been moments in my relationship, maybe it's been moments in raising my children, that I'm going to take this broken thing that I've just, just wore and tore to pieces, and I'm going to try to restore it back. Or maybe it's trying to confirm something or find confidence in something on my own or in my own ability or in my own mind or strength on myself or, eat, or this, even trying to establish, establish myself as a parent, establish myself as a husband, establish myself in any sense of my life separate from who God is, is meaningless. It's empty. We never truly settle in and we never truly find it. Church, the plan was never that God would help those who help themselves, but that God would help us by providing the Holy Spirit the source of wisdom, strength, and peace for us. That's the beautiful thing about this God who is intimately involved with this people. This is where Benjamin Franklin was missing. God helps those who help themselves. Listen, but you're not taking into consideration the personal invitation and the personal interaction that the God of the universe has with us through the third person of the Trinity being the Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwelling within the people of God. Romans 8, 26-27, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That God who saved us is that God who is with us and is that God who works through us. That God has called us through the strength and the Spirit to begin to take steps of action. And what is the Spirit of God dwelling within us for? It's for this, to put our feet to faith. Right? To see our faith in action, to see our faith lived out. Even though it, we don't help ourselves to get to God, or to gain God's help. But church, we do use His help to take steps of obedient action. We do have steps that we are called to make. We do have steps that the Bible talks to Matthew 7, 7. says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be open. There are actions that are required from us that even though God doesn't help those who help themselves, that God helps those who cannot help themselves, it does not mean that we are removed from our responsibility to be stepping into the place we get. The only difference is we aren't going to get God's help. We are working from God's help. In everything that we do, in marriage, in, 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 in parenting, in worship, in obedience, in devotion, in the way that we work, in the way that we evangelize and talk to hurting, dying people around us that desperately need Jesus Christ in their life, that's our responsibility to be stepping into that from what? From the help that God gives us. He's already provided everything we need. The Bible tells us He has given us everything we need to live a godly life. And so it's not a God helps those who helps themselves. It's that God has helped us so that we can help people outside of ourselves. God has given us what we need to be a help in the world that we live in. The reality of it is, is are we taking a hold of that and stepping into it? 1 Peter 1, 14-15, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He has called you, is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. The calling that He who has called you is holy. The called there validifies the salvation. Those who are called are saved. And so, if you've been called, 
and you've been saved, God has already helped. And then he says to do what? To be holy in our conduct. To live a particular way. To live from this point, not for this point. Because God seeks to help. God seeks to help. And church, for many of us, this mentality, and the band can come up if they're in here and prepare to worship here, but for many of us, on the surface, this seems like a good idea. God who helps those who help themselves, right? Because it doesn't seem right to us that we would go to God for help and not put in some work ourselves. Because this is how we're made. This is how, how we're, we're kind of wired. Because we do this. I don't, I don't know if you do this, but I do this a lot. I'm, I'm not very skilled in a lot of things. And, but when something comes up, a lot of the, the, the hesitation in anything really moving forward and why sometimes things take a long time is when something needs to be done say it's the house my vehicle I changed out a battery in my car the other day and it made my wife nervous not long ago and it made her very nervous like I can do this right what do we do we google it YouTube it. I mean, I can watch YouTube and figure out how to do a lot of things. I mean, I, I was YouTube and I'm a nurse, so I, I was, I'm not that I could ever do this because it's not my scope of practice, but I bought a trauma bag the other day. I was YouTube and how to put in a chest tube, right? Not that you would ever want me putting a chest tube in you, but I, I wanted to know, like, we want to help ourselves. Like, we want to do things. We want to want to figure things out. We want to Google it, YouTube it. With our health, right? What's the first thing you do when you're sick? You start Googling the symptoms. I'm gonna self-diagnose, I'm gonna figure out. And then, unfortunately, ultimately, like, everything's cancer, right? I got a pain in my toe, it's probably cancer, right? That's what the internet's gonna tell you. And so then we're like freaking out, but this is, this is where we are. This is how we're wired. Like, we wanna figure things out on our own. We wanna help ourselves. And what's the main motivation for that? What's the main motivation for why we want to help ourselves in a lot of the situations. And maybe it's just me. But whether it's dealing with my home, my vehicle, my health, what's the main motivation? Honestly, for me, some, most of the time, it's fear of the cost, right? I don't want to spend money. I want to do this myself. I don't want to pay somebody $300 to put in a battery that I can buy for $100. And I think that's the same consideration we take think about getting help from God is we can we're too afraid of what it's going to cost us I'm afraid it's going to cost me too much to go to God to give my life over to God I'm afraid it's going to cost me too much comfort I'm afraid it's going to cost me too much convenience I'm afraid it's going to cost me some elements of my pride where I have to acknowledge I'm wrong and I'm not good enough to do this on my own Right? Men, that's where we are. I'm not going to bring this to somebody else to fix this. I'm a man. I can do it myself, only to make it worse than it was before. Now they have to fix our mistakes, right? And that's how it happens. That's what is happening. That's, I lived that in my life. God, I don't need your help. I can do this on my own. And so what did I do? I just made it worse than it was before. But the awesome thing about God is that God says, bring that. Hey, I've already paid the cost. I've already paid the fee. It's free. It's a gift. You don't pay for gifts. Somebody else paid for gifts. God said he's given a gift, the gift of salvation. He's offered it. Debt free. No admission. No gate fee. 
says, come. There's a seat at the table. The place has been made. The feast is for you. The inheritance is available. You get an inheritance of a holy family and you've never even been born into that family physically, but he says you will be spiritually born into a family and have an inheritance of eternity, of life, of joy, of peace, of goodness that is not mine by birth, but by my rebirth in Christ Jesus. And it wasn't because I made something better. It's because I brought my mess. The brokenness I brought into my marriage. The brokenness of a parent that I was and am at times. The brokenness of a human being that I am every single day. Bring back before the holy feet of God. He says, hey, we've already paid for that. We've already paid for that. That's how I live. That's how I live my life. That's how I get out of bed in the morning. Is that God reminds me, hey, that thing you did, that thing you thought, that thing you're thinking about doing, I've already paid for that. You don't have to live in that. And you also don't have to live under the shame of the shade that it provides. Live in the light of the sun, Jesus Christ. It says, live in me. I've already covered it. I've covered the cost. Stop trying to fix it on your own. You're just going to mess it up worse. Listen, there's not enough YouTube and self-help that we can watch to make ourselves into people that are good and holy. Because by our nature, we're just not. God is. And He invites us. He invites us to be a part of what He's doing. This is a personal God. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who realize they can never in a million years help themselves. What does He say to us? Church, He says, come. pray with me this morning and consider these things in your own life God what are those ways in which I'm banging my head against the wall trying to help myself God what are those ways that I'm trying to figure things out on my own because I'm afraid of what it's going to cost me if I go to you And then I hope that we can pray, God, help me to see that whatever going to you, depending on you, pursuing you costs me, whatever I have to give up to find that, you intend, God intends to fill our hands, to fill our cups. What does the Bible tell us? That he fills our cups so much that they overflow. That we believe that God doesn't have enough for me. But what the Bible teaches us is that God has enough and more for us. If we'll just come. Just come. There's no gate fee. There's no admission fee. There's no penalty fee. There's no debt to be owed. It's paid. He says, come. Come and begin to take steps of obedience. Come and be given to live in the strength that Christ has provided. Come and be saved. By believing the work that Christ has done on our behalf. Church, let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness. God, we thank you for the confidence that we live in and knowing who you are and what you've done. Father God, I pray this morning that not a single person in here would be held back by trying to help themselves to be who it is you've called them to be. God, and let us know and let us see and celebrate that you help those who realize they cannot help themselves. Lord, and it's from that strength, it's from that help 
God, that you break the chains of shame and guilt. God, you break the shame, the chains of addiction. God, you break the chains that keep us from being the parents, from being the husbands and wives, from being the people that you've called us to be in the space of influence as you have purposefully placed us in. Father God, speak to us in a mighty way. Lord, help us to just acknowledge this morning and worship in the beauty of who you are and what you do. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Church, stand.